Welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. My guest today is squadron leader Kate Yaxley. Kate, amongst her many achievements, is the winner of the Women in Defence category in the inaugural AI in Australia, New Zealand for women held in Sydney earlier in April. Congratulations, Kate, and I'm delighted to be speaking with you. Thank you so much, Nikki. It's great to be here. So you started your career as an avionics technician at the Royal Australian Air Force. What led you to career in the Air Force and what have been career highlights for you? Well, um, I actually completed work experience in high school at um, a company called National Jet Systems in Adelaide. And uh, I loved it. I loved working around the aircraft and with the aircraft and, um, and the person who sponsored me to come and work with them said if this is something that you're interested in then I highly recommend joining the Air Force. So I had a look and <laughs> one of the jobs that was available at the time was avionics technician which sounded pretty cool um, working on on aircraft electronics and contributing to that aspect so I went for it um, and I, I got it. So off I went as a 18 year old joined the Air Force and uh, and I guess the, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I love your story. So were you were you particularly, um, like, how can I describe it, into that sort of stuff growing up or, like, how did it happen? Well, you... my, yeah, so my, my dad was um, a technician with um, Telstra or Telecom as well as it was called. Um, so he always had um, phones and bits of communication around the house that he would always tinker on. And he just invited me out to work with him. Um, he would often say that he'd find me doing something that I wasn't meant to be doing with the radio <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> so I guess from the beginning, I was destined to be a technician or an engineer. So. Oh, I love it. I think it's great. You know, Often the people that I speak to on my podcast, they've got someone in their family that they were doing something. And many a time, like um, I've just spoken to the guys um, doing automated bricks in Perth, Fast Brick, FBR as they now are. And he said, you know, his dad also had stuff lying all over the place. And he was always, and I love it. So to all the parents out there, I encourage them, let your tools lie around so that your girls can play with them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> So listen, what, what's been a career highlight for you so far? Oh, honestly, there have been so many career highlights uh, throughout um, from, uh, you know, serving my nation. That was definitely a privilege and something that I hold very dear to me. Uh, and uh, in terms of, so commissioning and being able to pursue my my inner um, values of curiosity and leadership has also been a really big highlight for me. So, um, for example, working with the team in electronic war warfare and bringing together international collaborators, that's that was definitely amazing. And most recently, just seeing what can happen when you bring so many different people together to realise what can happen with future technologies. It's mm. just, it's been really exciting I can see I can see your eyes light up and your, <laughs> your, your face is just a glow so you, you're obviously passionate about what you do and you just absolutely love it 
Oh, yes, very much yes. so. <laughs> yes. So you went, um, you've done your master's in science and electrical engineering, and you went actually to the United States for this, to the Air Force Institute of Technology. So tell us a bit about that. That just sounds so exciting. And as though this is any, any dream, a girl's dream, off you go. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, we, it was a bit of a surprise. Our youngest daughter was six months old at the time. So we all packed our bags and off we went to the US. And uh, so that was a, a big thing in itself. Um, but it was so great to integrate with the um, United States Air Force and the way that they educate their officers as well and just see the similarities and the opportunities that they also have. It was very, very rewarding. So um, it was great to be there. I met some amazing people, which was also you know, excellent. Um, and uh, for our eldest daughter, it was an opportunity to try cheerleading. So, <laughs> yeah. And how long were you in the States for? So we were there for just under two years. Okay. So All right. To um, complete the master's program that they run there. So. Yeah. And was it was it quite an adjustment coming back to Australia? Uh, well, it was nice to be able to get Vegemite again readily. <laughs> <laughs> the quintessential Australian icon, your Vegemite. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm surprised they don't have it in the United States. You know, being a South African myself, I, when I find Mrs. Ball's chutney, um, <laughs> because I started off in Bunbury and I, I, I went home to my husband, I said, I found Mrs. Ball's chutney. I think I can live in Australia. So I'm amazed they don't have Vegemite in, in the US. <laughs> oh, they do. We just had to drive 45 minutes to buy a jar. So. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. So. <laughs> so you're currently on a 12-month sponsorship in support of a PhD research in shepherding, AI design philosophy, and biologically inspired swarm modeling. What led an AI, an Air Force electrical engineer, to researching sheep behavior to develop AI design philosophy? <laughs> Well, I'll be honest, Nikki, you're not the first person to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's just spill the beans. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in one of my previous jobs before I commenced my PhD, I worked very closely with Defence Science and Technology Group on emerging technologies. And something they were talking about was this uh, concept of what they call cognitive electronic warfare. And I thought, wow, that sounds... Sounds like something I should learn about yeah. if this is the path that we're going down. So I um, approached um, the University of New South Wales, Canberra with a proposal on, I wanted to understand how swarm networks could potentially work in the future. <coughs> and so we looked at, well, what is a swarm? What is a representation <coughs> of the swarm that we have right now? And a really great example is sheep. So they all team together to promote their collective survival so individual and collective and each individual member of the flock also has their own behaviors that contribute to the way that it moves so it was perfect um, a really great way to study a biological um, example to understand how future swarms could look uh, so that's that's where that all started and um, the first step that we made was to actually determine whether or not that was uh, I guess you'd say a real example. So especially since one of the aspects that the entire research group was looking at was developing an autonomous artificial intelligent shepherd or and we've come to call it Sky Shepherd because we're looking at using UAVs. 
which was also inspired by looking at what farmers are doing with the um, availability of new technology. And we've always known that Australian and New Zealand farmers are happy to accept any technology that helps them. So with drones, a lot of them were using them to herd sheep. And we wanted to ask the question, well, what is the impact on that? Does that change the behaviour when we use new technology? And if so, how? So that's, that's sort of where it all began. And looking at the results we've got, we're developing models that represent that behaviour that could then be used to train our autonomous sky shepherd. So. Listen, it's, it's a fascinating area because, I mean, obviously, um, I, I, I looked at the paper that you co-authored with, with two other people. So if you're happy, I can put that in the show notes yeah, as well please. for people to have a look at. Um, how did how did the sheep initially react to drones buzzing around them? Like, are they they quite oblivious or are, are sheep literally as stupid as everyone says they are and just carry on there? <laughs> um, well, sheep are definitely not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be their advocate. Yes. No, I actually <laughs> so, think they, they're highly sensitive. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the ones, ones that we were testing with were very curious about this new technology. And uh, when we first initially started displaying the technology to them, they would take like a protective stance almost. So they were definitely looking at promoting their individual survival. It was very strong. But as they learned to realise that it was not a threat, they were very comfortable around it. So it is learning to understand how they respond and what is the appropriate way to stimulate that response. It's not unlike um, what you see with professional dog handlers who do train their sheep dogs to uh, achieve the, the same shepherding outcomes. It is a very much a, a learned response between the sheep and the sheep dogs. Yeah, so this the swarm response. Um, I don't know what movie I watched, but um, it just makes me think of all these drones that flew in, like these little drones warfare. What's what's your view on this? Like um, un unmanned armed drones and things flying around the sky. Do you, do you think this is something um, we should be watching out for in our future? Well, I I think the the most important thing is that any technology can be used to achieve an outcome. And ultimately, we as a society have the opportunity to say what we would like that outcome to be. And that's an important aspect. And that's why we have um, you know, guidelines for what we expect to be in new technology. And we have engineers that work to uphold those values mm -hmm. to ensure that people do feel a sense of of trust or that they can rely on this technology. But we also need to understand that there are other people who may see it as a different view. And so this is where we acknowledge that that could happen, but ultimately we're working towards it not being realized. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've, I've spoken to, um, I've interviewed a couple of people on my podcast and, um, you know, some of them, if they if they think their drones aren't being, you know, utilized in ways that they would want to do it, they just go, oh, we're not dealing with you as a, you're not customers of ours. So I think the ethical 
um, we still in a position to make ethical and sound decisions about what we want. It's not as though the robots are out there making decisions for us. Human beings are very much in control of decisions that are still being made today. Yeah, and we're also seeing a lot more of, um, of society being involved in this conversation. We are saying to organisations such as uh, social media that we don't want you to use our private information to achieve your outcomes. It's our private information. And we also, we've, we've seen that with a number of doc documentaries, et cetera, where people are saying, this is not okay and we need to change or we need to evolve or we need to support us in really upholding our societal values and views. Yeah, I think it's, is it Google and Facebook that are on a standoff at the moment about um, free, uh, how our, our, um, our users of apps, because if you if you use an app, they can actually trace it and track it to the next for the advertising purposes. And there's a whole warfare going on about um, to continue doing this because when you signed your waivers, it doesn't actually, you don't know, actually know that you're saying, yes, you can look where I'm going and you can track me and you can do whatever you want. So um, I, I, I possibly think how we use technology today, a lot of us are in complete oblivion as to, you know, like what's actually going on in the background. Absolutely. How many people understand what a cookie does, for, so to speak, in terms of how it's collecting the data and information that you're using on that particular website? Uh, does every user understand how to disable aspects that will prevent that website from tracking their future visits to that site? Um, that is really about education and empowering people to understand the technology that they're using. And that's something that that we do need to see move faster to keep up with the amount of technology that yeah, is, it is coming. You know, I'm just, I'm just actually thinking if you've got kids at school, this should be a subject for them at school. Um, you know, and uh, as you say, it moves so quickly. And I actually saw a cookie thing today and it said, oh, do you accept this cookie? And I blindly said yes, because I wanted to get to the article I'm reading. Now I'm going to have to go back and go, what did I say yes to? <laughs> So you were the convener and lecturer for the interdisciplinary course introduction to cybersecurity policy and operations. Tell us more about this. Well, the, this particular course is um, it's a general elective, but it's also compulsory for all students who are studying at UNSW Canberra. Um, the, the, the whole purpose of the course is so that we can ensure that everyone who graduates has an understanding of cybersecurity and their role in supporting Australia's cyber defence, essentially. So uh, we shaped it to make sure that it reflected the responsibility that each user can support cybersecurity by promoting the self-defence. So understanding what the impacts are if you click on a link in an email, um, how to identify phishing emails, um, also understanding what the ethics and legal frameworks are um, that are also trying to evolve with this rapidly you know changing landscape and domain that we find ourselves in with cyber so it's because it is a general elective um, one of the things that we did move was how we were teaching the practical aspect so we ran a project with um, an undergraduate engineering student and she actually completed a whole heap of surveys with the students and improved the course 
so that it was more relatable and they could abstract concepts that they saw on something they knew into more com um, complicated domains and examples. Um, and we're all with a risk management approach. So was, that's the whole purpose of this particular course. So in terms of stats, I, I believe that when the bushfire appeal was going on, I think our cybersecurity attacks was, it was astronomical. Like, I, I think it was like every four seconds, someone was attacking Australia in terms of, what, what's, do you know what the stats are now? Uh, I'm not aware of the stats today. Yeah. But you're right. At the time, there was a lot of, a lot of activity in terms of cyber scams, cyber attacks, all of those aspects. And that's using concepts of social engineering where um, the, the perpetrator is exploiting our basic trust in each other, that we, that we as humans do trust each other and are willing to do what we can to try and help. So a lot of the scams were around you can support the bushfire victims by clicking here which is it's I mean obviously it's not something that we like to see in society but unfortunately it is present and we need to learn how to actually eradicate that and say that's not okay so again when these sorts of things are found out the legislation around there to support actually holding people to account as well. Yeah, listen, I think I think the sort of fraudulent like cybersecurity and fraudulent behaviors cost Australians like billions. Um, it's it reminds of getting uh, when you get a phone call and it says it's the ATO. Now, not in my whole life has the ATO ever phoned me like that. And I hope never that they should change it. And it goes, um, this is now from the ATO, and I believe you've done something and press here. I mean, but the problem is that there's still Australians falling for this. Yeah, there are. And it, it's also about the education that we have. Sometimes we are not aware of these particular scams until they happen. And then it's how do we get that information out as quickly as possible through reputable means as well. That's the other aspect too, making yeah. sure that, that we are advising that. And cyber.gov.au is doing a really great job. So the Australian Signals Directorate are really doing a great job at keeping us up to date with what's happening and how we can support ourselves in improving our own, our individual and our small business cybersecurity. What's the website again, Kate? Uh, Cyber.gov.au. Oh, okay. I'll have a look. I'll put that in the show notes. I didn't even know that existed there. So I'll have a look at that as well. So, so what do you think Australian manufacturing has to offer robotics and other technology rich industries to the region? Well, one thing that, um, that I don't think many people are aware of, um, unless you're in that industry, is how elite Australian manufacturing is. We are developing high technology, high caliber technology and um, amazing robotics right here in Australia. And so there's a lot of options for us. And as long as we keep supporting that industry, we can have a positive in impact into our region. And I think that's one thing that, um, things like the Women in Artificial Intelligence Awards and other awards in STEM can really help us showcase these businesses and these um, small businesses, even like Exaptec, in actually promoting what, what we can offer into the region and to Australians. Yeah, listen, I can't, I agree with you 100%. And part of part of my whole reason I started this podcast, um, it was something I was thinking about a long time, but of course, COVID came along and then I thought, oh, well, this is as good as time as any, you know, I think make use of a good crisis in life, <laughs> there, can, there can be a good outcome. And um, 
I'm not sure if you're aware of the robotics roadmap that um, there's a 2018 edition and we're busy finalizing the 2020 edition and there is actually a defense uh, section in it. And um, the 2018 edition really highlighted that how how many robotic companies there were in Australia, but we don't all know about each other. So this is this is my give to the industry is that, and I've actually had people tell me, they look at my website and they go, they know the who's who, because literally I am going the who's who. Well, anyone in robotics is a who's who in my opinion. So, but um, I actually, I, I spoke to um, Wafa uh, last week or the week before, and she said she's new to um, Australia, and she actually went into the web, my website, and she just looked at it, and she went, okay, I need to speak to this person, I need to speak to this person, so I thought, <laughs> my job is done, I'm doing something useful. <laughs> well, that's what we need, we need people to know where we can go, and actually support these industries, and collaborate, and realise a lot of this technology that we we need and want right now yes. and it's here in Australia it's available in Australia so what advice would you offer to any people looking to embark on a career in electrical engineering um, my biggest advice is to stay true to yourself be authentic um, I am a 100% nerd and I embrace that every day yeah. <laughs> I'm super curious I I love asking questions I don't mind being the outspoken one in the room. Um, and sometimes it can be confronting. And especially when you do walk in and you are the only person that maybe looks like you. But ultimately, engineering is a team sport. So you will find people that you love working with. And I think that's the part that really has kept me working in engineering and electrical engineering in particular is because of the amount of amazing people I get to work with not just yesterday, but today and tomorrow. So, yeah. yeah. So in terms of your, um, just touching on the way you look, obviously you're a woman. Uh, what's what's the um, percentage male, female in the Air Force? Like, how does this all work then? Well, we've, um, so within Air Force, we've actually um, exceeded the industry standard, and well, industry numbers of the number of women who are engineers in Air Force, um, which is, you know, a positive for Air Force because we are an employer of choice in that case. Yeah. Um, but it's also at the detriment to our industry because we need just as much diversity within within Australia general yeah. to actually realise a lot of these benefits that we're getting in Air Force everywhere. Yeah. So. Look, this is a this is a um, subject very close to my heart that I go, uh, girls, you need to get out there and. Um, I've spoken to a lot of people, um, Dr. Amanda Caples in Victoria, they've just released like a whole STEM map for um, primary school kids, then high school, and then as you go along and where the resources are and the organisation. So I don't think it's for a lack of us trying to do it. I think it's more, there comes a pivotal time for young, um, and it's about year seven, year eight, where girls make choices that aren't necessarily the best choices they're making. And um you know, like I, I, I said to Dr. Capels, like it will be her last job to make sure that um, STEM subjects are compulsory at school. <laughs> no, no challenge for her. I'm sure she can do it. She's very, very capable. But, you know, if you close the door on subjects that, uh, you know, if you don't have STEM subjects when you when you do your final year of school and you suddenly then decide you want to have a career in STEM, it, it makes it so hard and your work is just double. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the aspects that 
um, that UNSW Canberra has found with through their Yowie program, so Young Women in Engineering, is that many girls don't realise um, how important math is until a little bit too late. So math is just like any language, you need to practice it in order to become mm. proficient at it. So we need more ways in actually promoting math so that young girls in grade seven and eight become proficient. So as the math does get harder, because it, it does, we need complex math to be able to describe the systems and the world that we live in. They don't feel so, um, it's not intimidated, but it can be quite challenging, definitely trying to catch up some of those skills that, you know, we're, we're missing early on. Yeah, you know what, I think um, this paper certainly supports the fact that girls are, they're smarter than boys, like at that age, year seven, year eight, maths, um, science, these subjects, like they outperform the boys, it's when they, when they, um, the decision making comes, it's where do their cohorts go, you know, so where, where does, where do their friends go, and if their friends decide to go to humanities, and they go, oh, well, okay, that's where they're going, because, um, and I, I, I've often said, I think the most crucial um, career guidance is then at that age, you need women, you know, such as yourself, other engineers that go into schools and actually speak to the, the girls and say to them, listen, these are the career options that you have. This is the money you can earn. And if you don't have those STEM subjects, sure, you can pick them up, but it, it just makes it so much harder if you decide at the end that you've done your STEM and you decide you want to go to your humanities fine you've got a STEM background and you've gone to humanities there's no issue with that but you can't pivot the other way yeah absolutely it is it's not unachievable but it is very difficult yeah um, and so we want to try and make that road easier so yeah yeah, yeah. so so um you you have children have you advised them on on directions that they they must go or have they they go no we will do what we want to do <laughs> <laughs> typical children <laughs> uh, well um i remember taking my our eldest daughter to a, a you know show your daughter around work and i showed her where i worked and um and what i did and she's like oh mom this is so boring so <laughs> Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, so it's it's not you know it's not destined that because you're an electrical engineer, every daughter that you have is going to be an electrical yeah. engineer. Far from it. <laughs> yeah. But the, I've, one thing I've always well we have always promoted with them is curiosity and asking questions. So really developing that critical thinking and that problem solving path that is really important for STEM. And uh, and so our eldest is looking at a career in in medical science and medical research so yes definitely still stem yes. um and she's loving it so to her chemistry and biology are easy to me not so much I prefer my physics and math so yeah <laughs> and I yeah so for our youngest getting her into coding was really a great way for her to understand puzzles like a new way to do puzzles and she likes it she's, she's into it yeah. Yeah, oh, there you go. Duck to water. Off she goes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love it. I, I think, um, you know, it's so important. And, you know, to the parents out there, it, it is actually crucial what you expose your children to, you know, and because you don't happen to do, you know, you may not be an engineer or whatever else, you still have to expose your children to and go, here are career options and paths that you should look at. 
Yeah, definitely. So definitely. speaking of that, do you have a mentor? Did you have mentors during your career? Um, I, I do not have just one mentor. I'll be very clear about that. <laughs> I have multiple mentors. Um, uh, I've had mentors. Um, I probably learned the importance of um, mentoring when I was um, became a tradesperson. So after I finished my school qualifications as an avionics technician and began supervising others, um, that's when I learned the importance of having mentors. And thankfully, I met an amazing woman. Um, her name is Nari Cannons, and I do not apologize for naming you <laughs> because she <laughs> will tag her. We'll tag her as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> she was really the uh, she was my role model. She was someone who had already you know begun succeeded at being a supervisor and had been promoted and and done all of this amazing work. And for me, it was yes, this is this is where the way we can go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and um, even today, I've still got some really great mentors, um, both male and female. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate. So thank you, Sandy. <laughs> thank you, Janine. <laughs> thank you, David. <laughs> Listen, I, I love it. I, I think this is the hallmark of a successful person is that they've got, they've got mentors. They've got people that can bounce ideas off um, you know, whether it's just the one, it's a quick five minute conversation or it's really some strategizing that you need to sit down and go, okay, where do I go from here? Um, I, you know, it's raising a child, you need a village. And I think being a, um, a successful career person, you need people around you that can advise you and tell you, listen, this is a pitfall, watch out for this, or you're on the right track here, do this, that, and the next. Yeah, absolutely. And the and one thing, one piece of advice I will give is if you are looking for a mentor, look for a mentor who is also looking to train you to become your a mentor yourself. Because you will get the the biggest growth out of that. They will challenge you, they will really grow you and you will be able to pay it forward for those other junior people around you. Yes, I love that. So I'm going to put your name in there, Kate's open for um, young people looking for mentor. <laughs> <laughs> You've just put your hand up. Thank you very much. <laughs> Kate, do you have any regrets about pass or not taken or um, decisions that you look and you go, I should have done something else here? Um, honestly, I wouldn't be here today if I didn't make the decisions I did yesterday. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm really loving where I am today. So I can't say that any decision has been of detriment to my career. So Listen, um, that's great. Yeah. So it's been, it's been amazing. Definitely. Yeah. You, you, you personify just gratitude and just uh, goodwill. Our, our audience can't see you, but I can tell you, she's just beaming. So for anyone, anyone in doubt, Kate absolutely loves what she does. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in five years' time? Ooh, oh, that's a that's a good question and one I'm having with many of my mentors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good. Spill the beans. Tell us. <laughs> uh, well, I definitely like to continue in the um in the strategic aspect of where the future force will look like. Obviously, I'm um, I'm a, a massive aviator. I love my job, and I want to be able to continue supporting Air Force in realizing what our next hundred years are going to look like mm -hmm. so that is where I see myself over the next five years so working to those steps where I can actually get to a position where I can support a squadron in realizing those effects so 
That's fabulous. Yeah. So in closing, Kate, um, any advice, um, words of wisdom that you'd like to leave our listeners with, maybe especially say ladies thinking of joining the Air Force or the military in some form? Uh, so my biggest advice is, again, still be authentic to yourself. You have been selected for your position because you have something to offer. So hold on to that. Um, military training is there to really help you realise who you are and what motivates you, so embrace it. And yes, sometimes it will be a little bit confronting, but that's a good thing. It's an opportunity for growth. Yeah. <laughs> so keep going, keep yeah. going. <laughs> yeah, what's the saying? What doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Yes. <laughs> it's the same for the military. Like we don't yeah. use that completely. It's like, so Kate, if anyone wants to reach out to you, can I, is it okay if I put your email address or what's the best place where they can contact you? Uh, so the best way is um, through, I'm happy for people to contact me through Twitter. So okay. I'm on, on there. So, um, and you can just PM me through that. That's yeah. fine. And are you on LinkedIn as well? I mean, can, I am on LinkedIn. Yeah. So if you are on LinkedIn, then, then go for it. So I use Twitter to um, help, you know, share my personal brand of curiosity and leadership and authenticity. Um, and I use LinkedIn to share my professional experiences as well. Brilliant. So I'll get everyone to, to follow you there. Kate, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Like, um, as I mentioned to you before that the listeners wasn't, weren't privy to, I was I'm completely in awe of you and everything you've done. So um, I, I'm, again, congratulations with winning the, the defence category. I think it's just absolutely fantastic. And um, I'm going to watch you now and, and we'll have you on the <laughs> podcast again. I'm going to refer you to 20 other people I know. <laughs> so your podcasting career is now taken off. You can thank me for that later. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're probably going to go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Anyway, thank you so much. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for Let's Talk Robotics. Thank you so much, Nikki. Mm -hmm.